Welcome to Percolating Perspective, the podcast that celebrates, revitalizes, and spit shines the American culture and the Western way of life over a steaming black delicious cup of coffee. One of my favorite things about life, probably for sure in the top five favorite things about life, is coffee. Today on Percolating Perspective, we're going to take a few minutes and talk about 9-11, the aftermath of it. Today is the anniversary of 9-12, the day after 9-11, and I think it is no more uh, appropriate than to discuss 9-11 on the anniversary. You cannot talk about America and American culture without discussing 9-11 on the anniversary. Uh, With that, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. Please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. Leave us a five-star review, and consider becoming a paid subscriber at patreon.com. Also, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Percolating Perspective. Now, today's drip of the day, I'm straying a little bit from my normal course. We're going to talk about a flavored coffee. Uh, this, again, comes from Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. I'm having a love affair with Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. They are... Just an incredible company, incredible coffee, delicious coffee. Um, But the one I'm going to talk about today, uh, and the one that I am sipping on furiously, is called Scottish Grog. It has got some rum notes, it's got some oak to it. The best way to describe it, if you've ever been to Ireland or uh, maybe Scotland, Scottish Grog coffee tastes like how Ireland or Scotland smells, if that makes sense coal burning it smells like coal and burlap you know i really don't it's a very masculine smell very masculine flavor um you gotta try it it's just a really good all of their coffee is good but you've got to try the scottish grog also quick note they've just released their fall flavors as well and one of those flavors is called uh, i think it's roasted texas pecan or uh, southern pecan or something like that so definitely gonna be checking that out we might discuss that on the next couple of podcasts they had a few flavors come out uh for fall so really excited about that in the 2020 presidential election Uh, approximately 10 million people uh, voted that were born in or after the year 1999. Now what that means is approximately 10 million Americans of voting age uh, who actively participated in our system, they don't remember 9-11 at all. They don't know a world where TSA doesn't check every personal belonging you own at the airport. They don't remember a world where America is not at war uh, or in some sort of police action. They really don't remember a world where celebrities, or at least a significant portion of them, not only were proud and excited about America and freedom, but in many cases spent time behind the yoke of a 10-ton flying aluminum beast uh, bearing the seal of the U.S. Air Force or driving a tank for the Marine Corps a lot of our celebrities and, and TV hosts, they were patriots of the truest form, and, and many of them veterans, which is uh, something that is definitely amiss in our culture today. But people, these 10 million voters, they don't remember where a world where it's cool or even acceptable, much less normal, to be proud of the United States. Um, as one of my favorite actors and America's favorite actors, Jimmy Stewart, uh, who also m- probably recognized the name George Bailey more of Bailey and Sons Building in Loan uh, from, um, oh gosh, what's the name of the movie now? 
A Wonderful Life. Sorry, just had a, a little brain fart there. But he, uh, Jimmy Stewart once said, It may sound corny, but what's wrong with wanting to fight for your country? Why are people so reluctant to use the word patriotism? Now, he kind of had his thumb on the pulse. He saw something coming that maybe we didn't. But I think what he saw coming happened on 9-11. Now, culture is extremely difficult to preserve if you don't remember what it is or what made it to begin with. Solomon said in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so the whole idea of this podcast is to revitalize and spit shine the American culture, as it says in the intro. But today we're going to take a look at probably, uh, in my opinion, the not the, one of not one of the biggest pivot points, the pivot point in American culture uh, and in, in American history. I want to take a couple of minutes and remember those who lost their lives on 9-11. Civilians, um, military men and women that were on those flights as well, police officers, firefighters, you know, it's kind of become less and less frequent on radio stations and TV shows around September. You know, used to, you would see it, you know, every year. You would see it, you know, leading up to September 11th, going out of September 11th. You know, remember our fallen heroes, remember the victims of 9-11. It was a, it was a cultural phenomenon for a while to pay tribute to those people, and that has since gone, unfortunately. Um, but I want to talk about 9/11, not 9/11, excuse me, because uh, after all, our nation physically was not damaged like the twin towers of the Pentagon, our our nation at large. However, mentally and spiritually, I think it did more than the Al Qaeda terrorists could have ever dreamed of or hoped for. Uh, this year marks 21 years from the monumental pivot in our culture, uh, and probably, like I said a second ago, the biggest pivot since the founding of our country. Several weeks after 9-11, the U.S. government uh, and a lot of um, big name you know, politicians and, and celebrities, they began to use a phrase, uh, several phrases, but one in particular that sticks out to me from my childhood and, and the days and months and years after 9-11 uh, was see something, say something. And as we'll discuss over the course of this podcast, the American government was specifically designed to protect your God-given rights. In the later part of 2001, when we started hearing the catchphrase, see something, say something, that was implying that the people uh, should always be on the watch to make sure our neighbors weren't plotting another attack. And, you know, the government's job is to protect your God-given rights. That is, their sole purpose is to protect your God-given rights. But whenever government starts to stray from its purview in the Constitution and what and what its jurisdiction is, it in an effort to protect those rights, took measures that I believe damaged us unintentionally. Now, while their intentions may have been good, this idea, this slogan, say something, if you see something, say something, uh, began to corrode the bedrock of America, which was brotherly love and trust among our neighbors. I remember seeing stickers on the gas pumps that said, if you see something, say something. You know, and that that really went away. I don't even think it went away until 2012, 2013, maybe 2014. It was it was deep. Uh, it was a it was a it was a uh, a movement. See something, say something. In hindsight, it wasn't our neighbors that committed this heinous act of actual bigotry and religious superiority on 9/11. It wasn't our neighbors that did this, and yet. 
we began to change our mindset to watch our neighbors in an effort to help control that. In a pre-9-11 world, before the Patriot Act, before See Something, Say Something, while we as Americans may not have gotten along all the time, we always knew and believed that our neighbors loved our country as much as we did. While we may have disagreed, we know that their hearts, or we knew that their hearts were in the right place. See Something, Say Something was so dangerous because it immediately made us a nation uh, that began to question each other's motives. It began to make people wonder if maybe my neighbor, who I disagree with, actually is wanting to see our nation collapse. After all, as we like to say, that's what their bad ideas would lead to. And while that may be right, that never crossed our mind, at least that I remember. I ask you, uh, whether you were alive or not, what changed on 9-11 or after 9-11? Were our neighbors really changed overnight? Were they suddenly threats? Were they suddenly terrorists? Did we suddenly just realize that our, our neighbors were single-handedly plotting the next terrorist attack? I, of course not. That's obviously not true. What changed was our attitude. We quickly became cynical and untrusting of each other because we believed the best way to prevent tragedy was to become spiritual hermits and to always be watching for someone to do us harm. On an individual and personal level, we would consider this type of behavior paranoia. Um, you see this oftentimes with our veterans and things that come back from war they're always watching for a threat, and that's the way they were trained to be, uh, is to always be diligent, always keep your head on a swivel. But what See Something, Say Something did after such an impactful and hurtful event as 9-11 is it put us in that same state of paranoia, although maybe not to the degree that we see with our veterans. As with any type of fear, though, the media of our day knows that paranoia will have the papers flying off the shelves and it drives likes and subscribes through the roof. Paranoia and distrust, regardless of political ideology or whatever geographical region we call home in these 50 beautiful states, will only breed more hatred and more hurt and more confusion. America, 21 years later, is still in search of healing. Getting Bin Laden felt great in 2012. In fact, I've got right here on my desk, I'm looking at it right now, uh, I've got the newspaper, May 2nd of 2011, U.S. Bin Laden dead. 2011 was 11 years ago. Nothing feels better after that. Nothing's changed. How, uh, you know, um, bringing Al-Qaeda to its knees and, and bringing those who killed our neighbors and friends to justice was absolutely necessary. But we're still broken inside. How do we fix this? How do we get our hearts and minds right? How do we leave the paranoia and distrust of our neighbors behind that we have so quickly engrafted our culture with? Well, I have a couple of ideas that I'd like to submit to you, and I would like to challenge you to take these on, and, and not just this week. This is, this is going to be an overarching theme of this podcast. Um... And I would like for you to consider making it a theme of your life as an American. Um, these things are things that we have lost. They are things, you know, distrust and paranoia were not something that Americans were used to or even were familiar with before 9-11. But as with many tumultuous and traumatic events, things can change about people's personality 
on a dime, and America is no different, and our soul as a country is no different. On your own, though, as an individual, it's time to begin trusting those you disagree with. As uh, Americans, our system is built on the concept of innocence until proven guilty. I would say you should keep that attitude with your neighbors. Don't automatically assume that their intention is to destroy our nation. Treat your neighbor as you would want to be treated, uh, whether that's w whether you agree with them politically or not, or religiously for that matter. As Christ said, love thy neighbor as thyself. As hard as it may be at times, try trusting first. Don't start from a place of distrust and grant the person trust as they say things you agree with. You'll find that you are much happier this way and statistically you're just as safe. Um, according to the National Crime and Information Center, reports of missing or kidnapped children is down a whopping 40% since 1997. 25 years ago. That's amazing considering the population has increased 30% in that same time period. And what I don't mean to say here is that, you know, you should trust your kids with any stranger that walks down the street, but my point in bringing up that statistic is we often say, well, the world's getting crazier, the world's getting more horrible. I can't trust my neighbor. I can't trust my fellow man because things are getting terrible. Well, according to that statistic right there, kidnapping is down 40% in my lifetime. And I'm not, I mean, I was born in 1994. 1997, 25 years ago, kidnapping was 40% worse than it is today. That is incredible. I didn't know that, honestly, until I was researching for this podcast. That's an amazing stat. Uh, you know, if you watch TV, you watch Facebook, and you're seeing news stories thrown in your face all the time, they're teaching you that it is not wise to trust people. But according to the math, according to the statistics of our own crime information centers, you're actually statistically more able to trust your neighbor than you were 25 years ago before 9-11. Now, I would also encourage you to make an intentional effort to talk to strangers. Now, we were all taught as kids, don't talk to strangers, don't take candy with needles sticking out of it, and that's not what I'm advocating for. What I'm advocating for is you as an adult make an intentional effort to talk to strangers. For example, the next time you're at the grocery store, just find something to compliment the person next to you on. You know, hey, I love that jacket. That's a great jacket. Where'd you get that? I'd love to, to, to visit the store that you got that and see if I can find one that's similar. A great way to do this with your family is take a road trip. But here's the key. Don't take the interstate. The interstate as much as it is nice to get somewhere from point A to point B quickly, the interstate, and we'll do a podcast on this sometime in the future, the, po the interstate system, I think, did you know, some real damage to the American culture. It wiped away Route 66. Uh, and so, again, that's another, that's another topic for another time. But uh, a great way to spend time with strangers and get to know people that you don't know now is by taking your family on a road trip, not taking the interstate. If you're an iPhone user, Apple Maps will actually allow you to map your drive to avoid highways and tolls. Um, you can find out pretty easily on YouTube. It's a very quick and easy thing. It's just two switches. You turn off, and, and it forces you off the interstate and onto back roads to drive past mom-and-pop shops. Uh, plan for a few extra hours. Stop at these mom-and-pop you know, gas stations, businesses. Ask them how business has been. 
Ask the cashier what her favorite place is for lunch nearby. Not only will you make an instant neighbor, but you'll see some amazing country that you'll never see on that crowded, cold interstate. Another big piece of, of trusting your neighbor and not thinking that, you're, that your neighbor that disagrees with you is trying to you know, blow up the Twin Towers is stop telling people who you voted for and stop asking people who they voted for. The voting booth has curtains and blinders for a reason. I remember as a kid, my dad would take me to go vote. Uh, he would, you know, I, I think the earliest I remember going, I might have been four or five, kindergarten. Um, and he would take me with me, have me under his arm, and he would take me into the voting booth with him. He'd, you know, whoosh, snatch the curtain behind him, close the poll booth. And he made his decision, bubbled in those answers, and then it was critical that I didn't say a word. It was, it was, it was stressed that I was not to tell a soul about what I saw or what my father voted for. And the reason for that was it, it, it kept tensions down and in the workplace. It kept tensions down in your community, in your church. There's no reason for anybody to know who you voted for, and there's no reason for you to ask. Um, um, to get a little preachy here, it truly is nobody's business who you voted for. And it's not my business to know who you voted for. Um, a, a thing that will go a long way of this is not posting on Facebook you know, who you voted for. And as hard as it may be, and I'm preaching myself here, uh, your political opinions don't do anybody any favors. And I've learned this the hard way. Uh, nobody is changing the way they vote because they saw you voted for someone else. All it does is it breeds tension and it breeds heartache. Pre-9-11 America will come back. But it takes trust. It takes a conscious effort. And most importantly, it takes prayer. Pray for America. Pray for her soul. And I want, to, I want to challenge you with this also. The next time you pray for America, don't mention any politician by name or any political party by name. Pray for your neighbor's well-being and safety, even if you disagree with them, even if you know for a fact they're a Democrat or a Republican or a non, anyway, like NPA, a non-party affiliated. It doesn't matter who they are. If you disagree with them, Pray for them. Pray for their well-being and safety. Pray for them because they're your neighbor. Love them as you would love yourself. It does not matter who they voted for. And it does not matter what they think about how big government should be or how much you know you should tax Jeff Bezos or how much you should not tax Jeff Bezos. Don't worry about that. Love them for who they are. Have conversations about that if you want. But don't forget to pray for them. Pray for the country and trust them. Build a trusting relationship with somebody that you disagree with. And it will change the country. I promise you it will. That will change America. That is really our, probably our biggest flaw. And that comes directly from the see something, say something mindset of post 9-11. The brave men and women on Flight 93 were willing to lay down their lives to protect their neighbors. They probably saved hundreds of lives because of their courage and their trust in each other, that their intentions on that plane were pure. We can fix our culture and restore our soul. It just takes effort. Now, in the spirit of Flight 93, America, I love you. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. 
He will restore our soul. We will fear no evil, for thou art with us. God help us. Jesus help us. Let's roll. Let's roll.